0: Let everything that have breath, praise you the Lord. Let everything that have breath, praise you the Lord. Everything, he's holy, he's holy. The earth is filled with his glory. Church, we we worship the the Lamb away the sins of the world and we also worship the lion the lion of Judah who's coming back one day to make everything right we worship him with expectation we worship him because of his goodness and his grace and we know he's coming back for us we praise him our saved our Lord the lover of our soul the warrior of justice the God of our salvation we praise him this morning we lift up his name his name is Jesus no no other name by which we must be saved Jesus the cornerstone of our lives the foundation of our lives we worship Jesus today praise him we praise him today Lord thank you for being the lamb that's worthy because you were slain before the foundations of the earth and church he's lion and lamb he came in weakness but he's coming back in his strength and his power to show us that he has defeated every evil he truly has defeated Satan and sin and we belong to him we have victory in his name We worship in victory wherever you might be right now. Whatever situations you may be facing right now, you still have the victory because he's defeated every single enemy that comes our way. Praise the Lord for his grace towards us, his power that we have in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the name of Jesus. Let's give a hand clap of praise for our worship team, leading us encouraging us, challenging us to eyes on Jesus as we worship. We're going to continue to worship as we engage with God's word this morning. Um, Again, we're thankful that you decided to come and worship with us. Um, All of our guests, um, we hope that you have a Wonderful time here and we look forward to getting to know you a lot better. Uh, my name is Tim, I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone and we're gonna continue in our series in 1 Corinthians. Today we'll be in 1 um, Corinthians chapter two as we continue in our series around our core values. Um, today we'll be speaking to the core value of engaging create on um, creativity. We generate solutions Willing to, willingly take risk, encourage curiosity and new ideas, learn from our mistakes, and constantly strive to move beyond the status quo. We prioritize collaboration over isolation as it takes a team effort in order to be effective. As we look at this passage and we think about this core value, creativity does not ultimately come from our gifts and human wisdom, but the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that recreated us and gives us new life in Christ Jesus. And today we'll be talking about the role of the Spirit in the life of our salvation, in the life of community. I have a lot of verses to read, so I'm going to go ahead and dive in. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 1 through 16, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And it reads like this. This is Paul speaking. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing. Somebody say nothing. Among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching We're not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak of wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak. God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard. And no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of this world but the spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom but those taught by the spirit explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is unable to understand since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can't evaluate or judge or discern everything. And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for waking us up this morning and starting us on our way. We thank you, Lord, for the breath you've given us in our lungs, blood running through our veins so that we can come and hear from you and worship you together. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Spirit, that we would be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, would you give me the grace to make it my ambition and my ambition alone to please you in this moment. Have your way, strengthen your saints and save souls today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One day, a young married woman entered into her counselor's office with a decision about her marriage. She tells her therapist when she walks in the room that she's prepared to divorce her husband and marry a new man that she's been romantically involved with on the side. The therapist takes inventory. He asked her the question, tell me more. Why do you want to divorce your current husband for this new man? She confidently told the therapist, God told me to divorce him so that I could be with this new man. This therapist is shocked, confused, puzzled by this response. This is not something she's brought up in their counseling sessions. It doesn't seem like anything is wrong in their marriage. So he's confused why she's saying she will divorce her current husband for this new man and proclaiming that God told her to do so. He asked her the question, "But how did God tell you this? Was this through a, a dream, a vision, something that Somebody told you, how do you know God told you to divorce your current husband and marry this new man you've been involved with? The young woman took out her purse. She pulled out her Bible. She turned to Ephesians 4 and 24, and she says, therapist, my Bible tells me to put on the new man. This passage of scripture was her source of divine guidance that gave her permission to leave her current husband and to put on another man. We laugh at this story. This is a true story. We laugh at this story. And we think that it's a bit extreme because if you if you read that passage in context, you know, it's not talking about leaving your husband and putting on another man. We, we laugh at the story, but it's an extreme illustration that highlights a serious problem in the church. Because oftentimes when we come to the Bible, our flesh guides our interpretation. What we see, what we experience, what we feel, dictates what God says. We come to the word of God looking for God to affirm our agendas, to affirm what we think and what we want instead of God examining our agendas, examining our hearts and minds and correcting us based on his wisdom. Church, this is the problem that this Corinthian community is having during the time of Paul. They're under this same temptation, this war between flesh and spirit, this fight for the interpretation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk by the Spirit, to be in community with one another. They are unable to tell the difference between God's call and their culture. They're unable to tell the difference between Human power and God's power. Human wisdom and God's wisdom. Yes, God has poured out his spirit on them. First Corinthians 1, it speaks to the way that the testimony of Christ was confirmed among them that God had enriched them with knowledge and speech through the power and the evidence of the spirit. They have evidence of the spirit, but they have not learned how to interpret their life through the spirit. To yield to the Spirit's power. They've misunderstood the role of the Spirit in the life of their community. Paul even calls them in the original language, in the Greek language, he calls them Spirit people. Not because they're walking by the Spirit, but that's what they're calling themselves. They understood the gifts of the Spirit that we'll see in chapter 12, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy and speaking and um, and speaking in uh, in tongues and all of these things they saw the gifts of the spirit as a way to elevate themselves in society instead of the instruments God has given them to serve the body of Christ. Paul he continues to explain to them the way of the cross. Chapter one he shows them that through the cross, God's weakness is greater than human strength. What Pastor Richard spoke to last week is he's reminding them that their calling was received not in their impressiveness, but in their weakness. And now Paul is reminding them that the gospel he preaches, he models in the way that he came to them. He came to them in weakness. Church, this reminds us as we look at the Apostle Paul's work in this church, that the qualifications for faithful ministry is not your impressive resume, it's your humility. Not what you can do for God, not what you can bring to God, but what you're willing to allow God to do through you by his power and by his wisdom. Verse 1 through 5, we first see the work of the Spirit in the presence of human weakness. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers Brothers and sisters announcing the mystery of the testimony of God, I didn't come with brilliant speech. I came in weakness and fear and trembling. Paul says, church, I came to you in humility, in weakness, so that you would not be confused about who the real power belongs to. In this context, a lot of traveling speakers would come to Corinth. They would come to town and they would boast In their accomplishments, they would use fancy words to impress folks and win followers through their intelligence. They would host IG lives and invite people in so they could share all the information they had to look good in front of other people. The text does not say that Paul does not have the ability to speak impressively. It does not say he doesn't have the ability to speak with persuasion and brilliance. Paul lives with this. Double consciousness. Paul is Jew, but also Roman citizen. Paul is educated in the Jewish scripture and culture, but he's also well versed in human in Roman culture and philosophy, Roman Greek Greco-Roman literature. He knows how to move a crowd and sway people with his words and provoke thought and action through persuasive persu- persuasive speech. But Paul says, "I decided." I determined, I made it up in my mind, I would know nothing else except Christ and him crucified. He says, I don't come trying to be impressive because that's not important. I preach Christ and him crucified. One scholar looking at this verse, he says, Paul does not pander for popularity. Paul is saying Church, you are judging me based on my delivery of the word instead of paying attention to the substance of the word that actually saves you. He says, You're consumed and addicted to the impressiveness that you're actually missing the power. When I was in, in college, I was having this issue with, uh, with fruit flies in my um, college apartment, and I, I called my mom, and she said, Tim, all you need to do is get you some vinegar get you some dyeing soap, put it in a cup. When you wake up in the morning, you'll be fine. I I go to sleep, I wake up, all of the flies are gone. And I I realized, I did did some research, the, the vinegar attracts the flies. But the liquid kills the flies. They are attracted to the smell. But what's actually inside the cup kills them. And church, we have to be reminded that there are some who have impressive speech and their delivery is attractive. It sounds good. It smells good. It feels good. But what's actually in the substance of what they're saying can actually keep us away from the source of our salvation. (laughs) We have to move away from what's impressive and attractive and get to true substance because in true substance, we have real power. Paul says that I preach Christ and him crucified. He says that I did this as a demonstration of the Spirit so that your faith would not be based on what I say, but the one who's working actually in you. Paul says this about this church, about our churches. He says that if I came with impressive speech in your immaturity, you would say, this is great. I want to follow Paul, but what he's saying is I don't come with impressive speech, so I come with the gospel so that you would actually say this is true. I want to follow Jesus. Church, this is something we must be mindful of. There's an illusion of power that comes with impressiveness, but real power comes from the Spirit. Paul is saying my delivery, my approach might be weak, but my message is strong. And you know this because you've experienced the power of my message, message through the preaching of the word. We have to be careful, church, of professing Christians, intellectuals in our world who claim that they know Jesus, but they draw us to them and not Jesus. The Holy Spirit's power is not seen in impressive words, but in a changed life. Not through impressive words, but through gospel transformation. The evidence of the Spirit's power is in us, our salvation. The Spirit that hovers over the face of the waters in Genesis 2, the same Spirit that Ezekiel saw put flesh on dead bones. This Spirit gives us true life and that true life is a picture of the true power and wisdom of God. This is what our main reflection is this morning as we look at this passage that true wisdom is found is not found in human experience, understanding or intellect, but through relationship with the Holy Spirit. We see the work of the Spirit in the face of Human weakness, and now throughout the rest of this passage, we see the wisdom of the Spirit in the face of human ignorance. Paul says, I I speak a wisdom to the mature. This is a wisdom for grown folks. This is a wisdom that you cannot pay for, a wisdom you cannot earn with a PhD a wisdom you can't get from a seminar, a wisdom that you cannot get from a 30-second reel on TikTok. This is a wisdom prepared before the foundations of the world. This is a wisdom that's revealed to you, not a, a, a wisdom that you earn within your own power. He says that I speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. This mystery church is Paul speaks in Romans 16 and also in Ephesians 3, this mystery is not secret information for special Christians but hidden knowledge in the Old Testament that's unfolding throughout redemptive history and is made plain through the crucified Messiah. This mystery is revealed in the crucified Lord. This hidden wisdom has been prepared, decreed, and ordained for our glory this text 6 through 9 it teaches us that divine wisdom transcends human imagination and uh, human imagination and understanding he says this wisdom of this age this wisdom of the rulers of this age is passing away and they killed Jesus because they lived based on the wisdom they had Bible says that this wisdom of the gospel is revealed by the Spirit. Church, this wisdom of the gospel is revealed. It has to be revealed by the Spirit. It's not found in human understanding of or imagination because no one in their right mind would think that God could accomplish salvation, establish his kingdom, defeat the, seen, the unseen powers and authorities, defeat Satan, sin, and death through a poor, brown-skinned Jew from the west side of Nazareth, born of a teenage girl who was defeated by the Jews and the Romans, abandoned by God, consider nothing in this world that was lynched on an old rugged cross. But there is no failure in God. God applies new meaning to our life situations. Defeat in God leads to victory. Death leads to life. And God works in mysterious ways, church, that go beyond our understanding so that we will not place our faith in what we know, but place our faith in the all-wise God who knows us. This wisdom of the world is fading away, but this divine wisdom of God lives forever because it was predestined before the ages of time. When I read this passage, it makes me question as I think about these leaders and these rulers who thought it was wise to kill Jesus. In our churches, in our cultures, what philosophies, what messages in this present age are we learning from that are actually trying to kill Jesus? What messages are we receiving in culture and in church that are trying to get rid of Jesus and bury Jesus again? Could it be that it's Jesus plus something else? Jesus plus my personal prosperity. Jesus plus my political agendas. Jesus plus health and wealth. Jesus plus crystals and sage. Jesus plus worshiping the ancestors. These things might seem like they're from the gospel. But these things preach another gospel, a gospel that works against the true gospel of Christ. What are we opening ourselves up to in the church that may be actually trying to get rid of the true eternal gospel that's revealed by God's faithful wisdom? It's a Hidden wisdom. But God is so gracious that this hidden wisdom is a wisdom that he wants us to have. A wisdom incarnate. God reveals Christ as our wisdom. Verse verse 9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. King James Version would say, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. The text doesn't say God prepares something for those who study a lot, who are intellectual and know all of the theologies, not the person who has profound wisdom and is able to communicate it and articulate it in a powerful way, but by those who love him, those who are devoted to him, who serve him, who delight in him, who practice obedience, who practice repentance and faith, those who affections are stirred by the love of God, those who love God because he first loved us. He prepares these things for those who love him. As I have read this passage, I heard it preached before. It's, all, it's always been applied to the future tense that no eye has seen, no ears heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things God prepared for those who love them when we get to heaven. But pay attention to what Paul is saying in his passage. He says in verse 10, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit that God's wisdom that was beyond human understanding and imagination has been revealed to us by his Spirit. The things God has prepared for us are now revealed in the Lord of glory, the one who was crucified for us, and we receive that by the power of the Spirit. Church, that's saying to us that we are not waiting on a type of revelation. We're not waiting on God to communicate something else differently. He's revealed it right now which means we have wisdom and power right now to live in the ways God's called us to. That all promises find their yes in Jesus. That in Christ, the Lord of glory, who was crucified because of human wisdom and human power, that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul has a triune perspective on the work of the Spirit. He says, God, the Father, reveals his wisdom through the cross of his Son by the power of his Spirit. It says, God revealed these things to us by his Spirit. God reveals. This This is it, calling us to watch out for people who are always saying God told them something. There are people in the church and in the culture that are saying that God is revealing things to them as if they have some special knowledge. But that knowledge is never connected to Jesus. Next time you hear somebody say, God told me to tell you something, you need to ask ask the question, what God are you talking about? Because listen, there's a God of creation the all-sufficient, all-wise, all-knowing God that's revealed in the Scriptures, but it also is the God of this world. My, my pops used to say the, the, the little God, the small G God, not big God as we call him in Atlanta, but the small G God of this world who blinds the minds of those who don't believe, who keeps folks in bondage to his will, the accuser of the brethren who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy some of us are saying we are hearing from God, but we have to ask the question, what God are you hearing from? Some of us may be open to spiritual experiences. The language of, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. It dominates our conversations when it comes to faith. But this text reminds us that God is the one who reveals God. So every spiritual experience may not be from the Holy Spirit. Just because you are spiritual does not mean you're growing in holiness. Some of us may be opening ourselves up to spiritual oppression because we don't know how to test the spirits by the word of God. We don't know how to wage war in the spirit. We don't understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We have to learn it every single day when I wake up in the morning. Before I get on my phone and open my phone to Instagram and IG, before I go and turn on the television, before I brush my teeth and watch my faith, I have to put on the whole armor of God. Every single day I must learn to wage war in the Spirit by using the Word of God to renew my mind and keep me steadfast in my faith in the crucified Messiah. Revelation comes from God. We need God to reveal God, and we know that we have received God through the presence of the Spirit. Notice in the rest of this passage, the Spirit reveals, we receive. The Spirit teaches, we understand. The Spirit speaks, and we speak. The Spirit gives us discernment, and we discern spiritual from natural. The Holy Spirit is the personal, invisible expression of God's own being. The Spirit reveals God's thoughts to us. In order to know God, we have to receive the Spirit. We know God's thoughts, his hidden wisdom made known in Christ through the Spirit. That means we cannot know God without receiving and yielding to the leadership of the Spirit. The Spirit gives us the ability to discern, receive spiritual things. Paul is comparing and contrasting spiritual from the natural. He says those who receive the Spirit understand and are able to speak by the Spirit. Then he says the person without the Spirit does not receive, counts the wisdom of God as foolishness, and is unable to understand it. Why can the natural man, the one that lives and abides by the flesh, why can he not understand the things of God by the Spirit? The natural man, church, judges what God says based on what he sees. Go back to verse 9. It says, no, Eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. He's saying, when the natural man sees Jesus, he sees failure. But when the spiritual man sees Jesus, he sees a savior. The natural man judges what God says based on his five senses. One translation would say this about the natural man, the natural man only has a physical life. Human wisdom that the culture depends on and these Christians are leaning on cannot lead to revelation and experience of God's power and wisdom. Human wisdom that's seen in the natural man says that God can only be known by what I know. God can only be known by what I experience. He evaluates God's kingdom based on human systems. He rejects the spirit's work and his wisdom because it undermines his understanding. His God is found in his intellect. Many in the world, the natural in the world, take their subjective experiences and hold them as eternal truths that they live by. Paul makes the distinction between the spiritual and the natural. Paul says in in, in verse 15, he says that spiritual person can evaluate everything, but he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. Let's make a distinction here. Paul is not saying he's above judgment. He's saying that even though this church has the spirit. They cannot evaluate him because their judgment is based on human standards, which are foolish. Paul is not saying I'm opposed to judgment, but the judgment I receive must flow from the spirit. This is a distinction, the application we have to make when we read this church, because Paul is not saying that we can be defensive when we hear critique. He's saying that we should be discerning when it comes to our relationship with our unbelieving neighbors, those who may live in the world and for the the world, he's not saying that the gift of the Spirit family tells us to ignore the critiques of the world if those critiques are in step with what the Spirit is telling us to do. What I mean by that is the natural person cannot see the Lord of glory but they can see contradictions in the church. Romans 2, 24, when Paul is speaking to the Jews, he says that people are blaspheming God because of you. They don't believe in God because they see the way you live. And this is a application for us, church, our greatest apologetic as Christians in this generation. It's not going to be found in what we know or what we can defend. The greatest apologetic will be our integrity, our convictions. Do we live by what we say? Not by being perfect, but being faithful. This world can see contradictions, but the difference between the natural and the spiritual. The natural may be able to see the problems in the church, But without the Spirit, they are are unable to provide solutions because they have not received the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Many in our world and our culture have a lot of reasons why they say, I don't do church. I don't serve or wanna belong to Jesus. I don't believe in this faith. But without the Spirit, they are judging the faithfulness of Christ based on negative stories and famous personalities that have been abusive and had scandal within the church. They, they live as if the existence of the church is dependent on the people in it. They use these things, which are real things, that we have to talk about in the church when it comes to our convictions and our integrity. But they use these things to act like the church is passing away. But the spiritual man is able to discern the failures of God's people and the faithfulness of God. Because my Bible says in Matthew 16 that Jesus said that upon this rock, this proclamation that, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Somebody know their Bible. Yeah. Jesus reminds us that the spiritual man reminds us that the church is not going anywhere because Jesus has been faithful. Church, we can look at this 1 Corinthian church and assess all the issues they have in this church. There's divisions in the church. They are suing one another. There's prostitution and sexual immorality. There's people denying the literal, physical, historical resurrection of Jesus. There are people going to clubs and eating food being offered to demons. They're going to the Lord's Supper, and they're oppressing the poor. And yet, in still 2,000 years, we're still here worshiping Jesus. The church cannot die because Jesus is not dead. The natural can only see the physical, but the spiritual man is able to evaluate the spiritual and discern the natural because we have the Spirit. Holy Spirit reveals God to us, gives us wisdom. Through our understanding and our commitment to Jesus, Paul closes out and he says, quoting Isaiah, who's known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? He says, but we have the mind of Christ. If you answer that question, who has the mind of the Lord? The easy answer is nobody we all fall short of trying to give instruction to the one who created us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But here Paul says something crazy. He says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But you have the mind of Christ. When you place your faith in Jesus, you received God's mind. Church, God has given us more than we give Him credit for. That God is so gracious and He's so kind, He's so merciful that He doesn't give us all the answers to the test. Oftentimes we want a cheat code, we want God just to reveal everything out of thin air for us in every situation, and we approach the Bible like this. But no, He gives us His mind to think through every single scenario, every single difficulty, every every single situation. And we find solutions in his word as the spirit teaches us and reveals Jesus. God has given us spiritual, eternal perspective that helps us interpret our present life situations. We don't need the world's wisdom because church, we don't belong to the world We no longer judge our future based on our present circumstances. We judge the present based on the future because the future has come to us by the power of the Spirit. We have the mind of Christ right now. means one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. But right now, we have the mind of Christ. We proclaim that he died for all so that those who live no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. One day, church, there will be no more suffering, sorrow, and pain. But right now, we have the mind of Christ. So we do grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. One day, every nation, tribe, people, and language will stand before the throne of God in one united voice, singing that salvation belongs to the Lord. But right now, we have the mind of Christ which means that we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One day there will be a perfect Sabbath rest for those who belong to God, but right now we have the mind of Christ. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. One day, church, we will see our Savior face to face beholding his glory, but right now we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. One day, church, we will dwell, God will dwell with his people and he will make all things new. But right now, by the mind of Christ, we proclaim that anyone who is in Christ right now is a new creation, that all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Church, we have the mind of Christ. Because we have the spirit of God, this same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. is the same spirit that has revealed Jesus to us and given us relationship with Jesus so that we can walk in his wisdom. This is the gift God gives us, not found in human experience, human intellect, human knowledge, but revealed to us as a gift from God for his glory. Church, this passage as we see the Corinthian church who who does have the Spirit. Paul does not make a hierarchy between those who in the church have the Spirit and don't have the Spirit. He's saying all of you have the Spirit but you're not living in the Spirit. The question of this text is what is the Spirit saying to the church? Church, one of the concerns, the discouragement, discouragements in our culture when it comes to walking by the Spirit. I, I, I think in some ways we've gotten to the point where we're facing decision, relationship, when it comes to parenting, marriage, our work, our circumstances. To ask somebody in the church, what does the Spirit say about this situation, Is uncaring, is considered ignorant, foolish. I think because we have so much information to everything else, we consider the Word of God as irrelevant to our pressing circumstances. We've learned to treat the Word of God that the Spirit of God uses to reveal Jesus to us as irrelevant and archaic when it comes to what we are going through. I'm not saying that every single thing we face can be solved by you quoting Scripture and memorizing Scripture in your head and closing the door and reading your Bible all day. But I am saying that under the Spirit, God is renewing our minds. He may not change all our problems, but He gives us a new interpretation through the Spirit. He renews our minds and gives us the ability to think and see differently by His Spirit. That the Spirit, all Scripture, is God-breathed, useful for teaching and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped, For every good work, we cannot allow our flesh, our access to YouTube pages and Instagram and TikTok reels to shape how we understand what God is saying. That is using human wisdom to shape our understanding of God. What is the spirit saying to the church? The spirit that brings us into one family that reveals Jesus to us. What is the spirit saying about our commitments as Christians? Time management. How we live based on the gospel. What it means to walk by the spirit. What it means to love one another. What does it say about our values? What's the Holy Spirit saying about our mission as a church? What is the Holy Spirit saying about our children? How we relate to them if we're creating environments that are exposing them to the love and truth of Jesus? What is the Spirit saying about the relationships between men and women in the church? I'm going to pause right there because we're noticing this is in dating, in marriage in work, in our brother and sisterhood relationships, in the church, when it comes to relationships, we're asking the question, what are you bringing to the table? What are your assets, your liabilities? Church, that's been infused in us and now we're using financial, transactional, Language to shape how we receive Christian relationships. What are you bringing to the table? Dictates who we give access to. What are you bringing to the table is saying that we judge one another based on their value to us we're saying what do you bring to the table instead of receiving one another in our communion at the Lord's table where we share in the blood that was poured out for us and we eat of the bread that symbolizes the body that was broken for us so that we would have fellowship with God and be restored to one another what does the spirit say about our relationship What is the Spirit saying to us? The Spirit reveals the wisdom of God, which is found in Jesus, and gives us the discernment, the wisdom, the understanding to walk by the Spirit and not after the flesh. Paul's charge to us this morning, church, as we read this passage, as we go through 1 Corinthians, as we see what it means to be a disciple of the crucified Lord, Paul is reminding us that we have the mind of Christ, that we've been given given everything we need for life and godliness. And because we have the mind of Christ, he's calling us to stop living like we do not. Father, we thank you for your wisdom and your spirit and your son We thank you, Lord, that not by our works, our understanding, you decided, you chose to reveal yourself to us, and we have the spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Lord, give us the grace to be discerning, to be able to tell the difference between good and evil, to be able to engage with the world In wisdom and faith would not be conformed to the world, to its standards, to its method of judgment. Oh, Father, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would flood our hearts. If there's anything right now that is a barrier, whether spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual, whatever may be a barrier right now, would you remove it by the power of your spirit? Your spirit brings order out of chaos, bringing life unto in death. God, I pray right now for revival, for restoration, so that we would truly be people of the spirit, not just by name, but by our actions. Lord, remind us each day that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you, for what can a man profit if he gains the whole world with his wisdom, with his riches, with his pleasure, but lose his own soul. Jesus, remind us that we do not belong to this world, but you left us in this world to be a witness by the power of your Spirit. Oh, Father, we need you. Would you be with us as we seek to be with you? Right now, Father, I pray if there's any sin that is persistent right now that needs to be repented of, Lord, bring it to the light in our church. Bring it to the light, God. Would you reveal it so that we can receive the grace you have in our sin? Oh, God, we need you. Reveal the power of your spirit right now, Father, and I pray by your spirit that you would cultivate a heart of unity, that even in the midst of preferences and differences, Lord, we would be connected by your cross, and that we would live a cruciform life based on your love for us. Will we not relate to one another based on what we want, but based on what you've given in your Son? Have mercy on us, God. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your power. Change us, God. Make us over again. We've been Christians for so long that we forgot in ways what it means to be Christian, to be believers but not disciples. Shape us, God. Fill us with your presence. Have mercy on us. Shower us with your grace. We need you. Lord, you said in your word that if we would draw near, that you would draw near to us. And so we're asking you right now to fill us with your presence, fill us with your power, and reveal your glory in our church. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.